okay video. We don't do cell phones here. Just movies. Films. Cinema. Art. With a capital A. I'm Nathan Rohr, formerly of Rogers Video Store 613, home of the iPhone, and I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Hi there, Ryan here. I don't even I don't even know how to respond to that. Uh, giant Nicholas Cage fan. Uh, very much looking forward to the season. Um, can proudly say I own every single movie within our batch this year. Even the most recent one. I do. Yeah whoa i know uh but yes this is this is our fourth batch of films here at okay video and our first featuring the work of nicholas kim coppola i had to look up his middle name this week i was i was surprised Mm -hmm. um in 2009 a great collaboration took place werner herzog the enigmatic filmmaker from germany and nicholas cage the king of acting teamed up to overshadow the legacy of abel ferrara by outdoing him in every conceivable way that's right. Bad Lieutenant 2, even badder, was retitled Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans and released to the world. And that wondrous film is the subject of this week's discussion. Uh, it came out exactly 17 years after the original, November 20th, 2009. Uh, it cost $25 million and uh, it made 10.6. Including our money at the Uptown. We, we pitched in for that. I doubt so. that our money actually made it there, but we'll get into that later. Those $15 totally went right into Werner's pocket. We helped him out. I doubt Got it. him a sandwich. We both, we can talk uh, about, we're going to talk about the Uptown this episode. Don't worry. Ryan, why don't you tell us what this sequel slash reboot <clears throat> is all about? Absolutely. Bad Lieutenant 2 is a direct sequel to the 1992 blockbuster smash hit. Nicolas Cage takes the reins from Harvey Keitel as the new... Bad Lieutenant. This time, it's personal. <clears throat> so anyways, I'm doing some... Re- oh, wait, no, never mind. This is... Nathan, this is a completely original film. Oh, man. What? It says, the title? It says here that Werner... Werner, by the way, not Werner. 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 <laughs> As a German descendant. Yeah, you're right. Had never even heard of Bad Lieutenant before this. Or, well, or its director. Well, <laughs> yeah. okay. I uh, I guess I have to make a real rundown, okay? So let me just do this off the top of my head. Nicolas Cage plays uh, Lieutenant McDonough, a good cop with questionable morals. After hurting his back, he's sent down a path of addiction and trying to solve a murder, all the while hoping his world doesn't crash around him. That's right. And it takes place in the great city of New Orleans, which is kind of Nick Cage's stomping grounds. I think already at this point, right? He already had affinity for the city. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so the big thing was what I was reading is that like this movie, the screenplay makes it set place in like takes place in New York originally. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have been like this weirder because like, okay, so there is no connection between this movie and Bad Lieutenant. The movie was actually just called Port of Call New Orleans. And then mm-hmm. one producer who had no say at all in the making of this film, but it did say on advertising sides was like, let's call this bad lieutenant because it has a bad lieutenant in it and really bank upon that branding <laughs> from 1992 smash hit bad lieutenant. That sweet like brand awareness, which I guess sort of worked on me because I had heard of this property. Okay, but at Nathan, this point, sure. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, when we heard about this movie coming out, we were not excited about it being a bad lieutenant movie. We were excited about. Oh, finally, they're gonna re- do another take on that yeah, exactly. with less like NC seventeen nudity. 
This is going to be great. Less uh, Harvey <laughs> Keitel penis is what you're saying. Um, <laughs> That's but, what I was not saying on purpose, but you're right. But Harvey like we were excited strong. to see this movie because of Werner and because of Nicholas and because that pairing, like yeah. Werner hasn't worked with like someone of the likes of Klaus since Klaus. And here is Nicholas Cage who literally mirrored, like he did all of vampire next week's vampires kiss. He mm-hmm. was just like looking at Klaus Kinski and I mean, uh, Max Shrek as well, but sure, as but. inspiration, like jump off points for his vampire take. Yes, yeah, he does even like moves that Klaus does. There's this like thing called the Klaus like turn or whatever, where he spins into frame around the camera. Yeah. He does that at one point in the casino. Yep. Like he's totally game to do all sorts of crazy stuff in this. And I, I really hope these guys work together one more oh, time, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, I just but, don't know. Uh, Werner, Werner doesn't seem as interested these days in like narrative filmmaking as much as he used to. Yeah, that's like he, true. But that, he's killing it still with like his documentaries are fantastic. He has I haven't seen his two more recent ones, but he saw his Netflix volcano one, and like it's fine. But he goes to North Korea, and we have this huge section about North Korea in there, and it's weird. Yeah. So I don't know if like so the most recent movie of his I've seen was uh like he has two new ones that I have that like Nomad. Where he goes like traveling through this like famous uh, travel journalist journey, just that who died young. I don't know. I don't know what it's about. But is it's... it a narrative film or a documentary? No, it's documentary. Sound... He's like exclusively making doc- documentaries. Yeah, now. like he did something with Michael Shannon about oil or something like six years ago on Netflix, but I never checked that out. Sure. Yes, Michael Shannon was in one, but yeah, but he hasn't really like he's been making i think of the last like few years it's been like three or four documentary he's made it's honestly like the side of his filmography i like more i think is the documentaries yeah yeah. i've definitely seen a handful of uh narrative films that are just kind of like rescue dawn with christian bale it just didn't really pop for me Mm -hmm. like it's cool that it's it's basically like a narrative telling of a story he already made a documentary about but it just kind of loses some magic I don't know what it is, but uh, this this honestly might be my favorite in terms of like a narrative film that just works on its own in some fun ways. Oh, like, for certain, like for his stuff, we might you know? we might be like stepping on a whole bunch of people's toes right now who like a love Agira or Fitzcarraldo or even like uh, I, I've seen Nosferatu. both of those, though. And my issue is they kind of like try to translate them for English. Like the copies I have are like overdubbed yeah. by Klaus Kinski doing like bad english stuff and it's like clearly not married to the images on screen mm-hmm. like the audio is recorded separate because it's like filmed on location in a jungle so it's just i don't know it creates this weird like disparity but yeah i, I know his like work from the 70s is well regarded it's just i think when he just kind of is the center of it he's such an interesting dude that it just hits this next level oh like no no his you. documentaries i absolutely agree with you are my favorite things and this is also I, like I'm I'm totally on your page, Nathan. Like I, Bad Lieutenant Protocol yeah. New Orleans is my favorite Werner like uh, like like narrative film. But it's hard for me to say Fiction like film. But it's like hard for yeah. me not to say that because I also love Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage gives such a like such a great performance in this movie. Like I oh, had yeah. an absolute blast watching this movie again. This is probably about my third or fourth time watching it. 
it's been some years since I looked at it. Yeah, it, it was a fun time again. I, I love the supporting players he runs into, too. It's a lot of, like, Nicolas Cage frantically going around the city, like, interacting with character actors I like. Yes. So it was just kind of like, oh, this is great. Like, you just get a couple scenes with Brad Dourif. Uh, like the introduction to Shea Wiggum for me oh was goodness. this movie. No, no. When we walked like, out, of walking that movie, out of that theater, it yeah. was like, who is that dude? I got to like know who that is. <laughs> oh, and he hangs. He hangs such a great hat on that scene. Like he leaves the hotel room in this like fluster or whatever, where he's yeah. just kind of like so too cool for school or whatever. And then he just looks at this kid and just goes, oh yeah and walks <laughs> yeah, away and it's so just crazy. like who is that guy like that guy just took a scene right out of nick cage oh, no, no, like, this and guy like away. shea wiggum went from like a bit actor that i'd seen in a bunch of things to all of a sudden like i gotta pay attention to this man when he shows up and stuff and he is yeah. in all fairness he shows up in a lot of things but he's often pretty great like he yeah yeah is often not very solid so. And then he's got a great memorable name, so after this movie, it was like, all right, Shea Wiggum is that guy. I'm going to notice him in every HBO appearance and whatever he's doing. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, Shea yeah. is, like, he's top-notch in this movie. Like, okay, so this movie movie kicks off, and I couldn't – I can't understand what is Val Kilmer doing in this movie. <laughs> like, no, no, and yeah. I, just hear me out for a second because – like, clearly Nick is understanding what level of filmmaking they're doing. Like, it's very organic. He, he and Werner both know that the script isn't strong. Like, it's pretty cheesy. So, they Werner and him are, are making up stuff as they go along, replaying scenes. But Val's just, like, reading the script as is. Like, I feel like every little piece of dialogue he says is exactly from the script. And it's just as bad as you can imagine it being. But I'm like, was Val so low in his career at that point already? That, like, he was just, like, a bit actor. Like, he's barely in that movie. Yeah, and he's, like, third build or whatever because that's how guilds work or something. Yeah. But, yeah, he really only has, like, two big moments in the movie. Like, the intro and then, like, kind of the conclusion with the Exhibits character. Yeah. Like, that's the only times he's really, like, prominent. Yeah. He's also in the iguana scene. And, yeah, he just seems totally outmatched. Like, Nick's energy and stuff. It's just, like, what is he saying right now? Like, he just seems kind of, like actually put off by what's being said yes. in the energy well it's because weird, i think yeah. i think again because like as you can see that actually specific scene like val kilmer is like okay this is how it's been written like i'm studied this line exactly this is exactly how it's supposed to be and Werner was like i'm bored by all of this let's put an iguana in here and only nick can see it <laughs> And he filmed that himself, I guess. Werner talks about that in his masterclass of like getting really close to these iguanas and they're like biting at his hands. Yeah. It's great. You can see how like angry one of the iguanas clearly oh, is. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's no, really no, it was, awesome. the iguana wasn't angry. It's the uh, the other one, like that sand, the, the yeah, yeah, lizard type the, of thing. The darker brown lizard but that's there. Regardless, like, so it, it's like almost nobody told Val that they're changing everything and they said, don't worry about it. You act like the scene is written. Nick and I are going to do our own thing. And that is this entire movie. Like everybody is kind of like, like Brad Dourif has some fun things. Uh, when he comes into the police station midway through the movie to yell at Nick Cage about owing mm -hmm. him money. Like yeah. you can tell Nick Cage then like had to improvise a line because they were being so loud about like, it's just, it's just rent due. Just rent due. It's fine. Yeah. It's like, uh, 
And he just puts on this voice sometimes. You know how Nick Cage puts on this voice sometimes with this movie? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to... It's like, is this like James Cagney or yeah, something? Like, he's like doing what is pulp. this? This isn't Louisiana. This is just interesting. I don't care what it is. It's just occasionally, yeah, he just has this kind of detective voice Here, see? Or yeah, I got you, kid. That type of thing, right? Like that, like he's literally playing <laughs> Spider-Man Noir. And I bet, I bet you the, I hope the filmmakers saw Protocol New Orleans and they're like, from like the channel, channel a little bit of this. Lord yeah. of Miller. Like I'm, I'm glad, I hope that they were like, yeah, let's get this in there because this is exactly what we want for Spider-Man Noir. Um, <laughs> no, like it's, I don't know. Like so many things are working so well in this movie and like, and it's filled with people that I wouldn't expect. Like, yeah, I love Brad Dourif and I love Shan now. But, like, I would never have expected Eva Mendez to be able to keep up some of the times because mm. they have this whole sequence. Like, Eva Mendez is a prostitute who happens to be Nick Cage's actual girlfriend. Like, she really likes him and, like, sleeps with him for free and clearly, like, really likes him. So, Nick, like, is helping her out. Keeping... And they kind of supply drugs for each other. Yeah. Like, they, they, they both have, have this, this, like, yeah, partnership. they're both at this, like, really low point and they're both, they found each other situation. And, and then... Through their story, eventually they they both pull each other out of the muck. Um, yeah. But anyways, there's a scene oh, where Nick but, takes her to yeah. Nick takes her to his childhood home to stay with his dad and stepmom, and he takes her in. Like I read about this, like there's this um like little shed behind the house that he takes her into, and nothing in that scene at all was written. Nick Cage was <laughs> improvising all of it. And here's the thing. I was in, I, every time I watch it, I always pay attention to him because I'm always kind of amazed by like how well he's just coming up with nonsense the whole time. And it's not uh-huh. like nonsense. It's actually kind of like sounds good and real. I watched her this time and she is like – she's doing a good job keeping up with Nick Cage. This is like craziness. It's kind of amazing too because the scene that precedes it is like her fighting with his stepmom and like she's about to leave. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. Come with me outside. Come come take a look at this. And how quickly she's like invested in the thing he's saying yeah. and like, oh, the pirate treasure. Like it's just she's like lighting up at yeah. this story he's telling about having a metal detector and like finding this spoon near a tree and all this. And she's just like. Wow, really? Oh man. Oh, and like later in the movie when she's he, just into it. Yeah. When he finds the spoon, she is like her face is like she's like like she's so in enraptured by this spoon that Nicolas Cage has found and talking about. Like I, I gotta give her, like, they they were previously two years earlier, they were in Ghost Rider together. And I yeah. thought they were both like I like Ghost Rider, but it's not a great movie. It seems like both Nick and her were calling it in, like phoning it in for that movie. I put a it bit, up to yeah. the director, Mark Steven Johnson, who um, but this movie, she is like very much up to the task of keeping up with Nick Cage. And like, I was kind of impressed by that because here she is having to deal with like him <laughs> doing stuff off the cuff and she is not breaking and she's going along with it. Like that's a, I, I'm just, I'm just laughing at like you saying it's like improvised that cabin scene totally makes sense. Cause like he goes to pull this like uh light on this <laughs> and fan says, oh, it's always and important. it's immediately just like, Oh, that uh, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And just kind of keeps <laughs> going and like opens a window. And but he just says keeps that doesn't work anymore. Things around the room. I laughed like, so hard when he said house. that. When he said it oh, was really yeah, that doesn't work anymore. That energy fits now. Now that I hear that it wasn't planned, because yeah, it still works though. It still does work. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, I don't know. Like, Eva is really like she really impressed me. This watching this movie through with her. Because, like, I, I have a tendency to just to focus so much on Nick and all these scenes that I yeah. don't pay attention to other people. So, for example, there's this scene where um, Exhibit and Nick are driving in a SUV together. 
Mm-hmm. And Exhibit doesn't really know what to do with Nick Cage's energy. Like he's is it, like, is it the like the weird? Oh no, that's at, he's at it's when he's cackling. He does this? Yeah, he's like laughing in his chair, like in the driver's chair. Oh, till the break of dawn. Yeah, scene? till the break of dawn. Yeah, and then like it's Exhibit's like, like, what does like, that oh, mean? Man. Yeah, and you can tell Exhibit's like, this is I don't know, this is what I signed up for, type of thing. Yeah, like this movie is, is this- filled. This movie's filled with actors that you'd expect to be in, like, this is like uh, John Travolta, Bruce Willis, direct-to-DVD, direct-to-streaming, <laughs> like, movie script. Yeah. But, like, Werner and Nick show up, and they're, like, all of the choices that they make elevate this movie. Well, they're, like, scribbling in the margins and, like, adding cameos by animals like we already talked about the iguanas but i forgot like the first one of those is that gator yeah at like the side of the road during this accident it's just kind of like hey let's drop to the ground and go over to this ditch and just hang out with this gator for a bit and it's just like there you go there's that energy yeah. <laughs> like it's it's yeah it takes like a pretty rote scene where he's trying to like clear a traffic ticket for his friend or whatever into like something a little different also, and it's yeah. like, it's all the little things for me. It's like Nick's commitment to like that weird hunch he does all movie long. It's his Cagney yeah. voice. It's the size of his gun and how he... And how it's just tucked in <laughs> his front of his pants. Yeah. How he carries it. Um, Like, it's how he threatens the old lady to take away her like oxygen. Oh, man. It's, yeah, that scene's insane. It's even like little things. So like when he sits down in the interrogation room, he sits down and he bumps hands with that... The guy, a local from New Orleans, like there's no way a movie like this script would have been set in New York. So it wouldn't have had that attention to local culture. But here mm-hmm. it is in New Orleans. They sit down and, and Nick Cage and him greet each other by like that hand tap type of thing. Yeah. Like, that's something that I could see Werner being like, we have to do this properly. Sure. I like how much like it's shot on location, too. Other than like one scene, I wasn't really suspecting anything was a set. Like, it was just like, oh, this just looks like this is a building, and they're so shooting like, out the window and stuff, and the you can last see traffic. Scene, like, the the last scene was the set scene? I honestly was thinking the prison at the beginning might have had to be, just yes, with the water I think flooding it, is. it and everything. Did you hear about that, how they got the water murky? I did, after, it's like, uh, do you want to tell it, or? No, go ahead. It's it's decaf coffee to, like, make the water brown, yeah. but not caffeinated. And not I toxic. I think they tried with normal coffee before well they tried with paint like... first and then it was becoming toxic <laughs> and then they yeah. tried with regular coffee and then the actor who hangs out down there was like... like i'm just soaking in caffeine down here man yeah, <laughs> yeah. so but even like so decaf. like this movie pays attention to the little details like i don't know like that dude the person so at the very beginning of the movie we meet nick cage and val kilmer they're going through uh, they're going through the – this is right after Hurricane Katrina. They're going to this yeah. prison. They're raiding cop lockers. They find pictures of another cop's husband, like wife, like new, lewd pictures, and they decide to take it. They go – they find a criminal who's still stuck in one of his – like one of the little prison cells. Cells, like the holding cells, yeah. And Val, and Val Kilmer's like, oh, i just leave him. Like we'll come back for the, the, de- the body later because the, the water's still rising. And Nick mm-hmm. makes a different choice, right? Like, this is where we kind of get that first sense that, like, Nick is not a good guy, but he's also not a bad guy. Because he does steal yeah. these photos. But then he also no, jumps it, into it, the water. Yeah. He jumps into the water to save this kid, but then through jumping into it, he lands wrong and he hurts his back. Yeah. Like, it hard cuts to, like, an x-ray and a doctor's just like, yeah, you probably screwed up your spine for the rest of your life kind of thing. 
And then that sets him on the track of like painkillers and and then like that slow like devolving into like like there's this one really great disturbing scene that I remember watching in theaters and feeling super uncomfortable. Like when yeah. he's like uh like paroling at night, like he's following that couple. Oh, he's just creeping around this club and he's like basically blackmailing this couple into giving him drugs and it gets worse from there. And it gets yeah. way worse. Like that girl like yeah. gets out of nowhere and I'm sitting there being like, Whoa, this is gets uncomfortable. Like and he makes him watch and so cruel and mean and yeah. Yeah. It's it's the most depraved scene in the movie. And they kinda echo it at the end of the movie to be like he's not out of the woods on well, doing Again, this kind until of thing. they bring back that first guy in the cell. Right. And then him and Nick are sitting in the aquarium together and that guy kinda you kinda get that. Yeah, first... they kinda bookend the movie with Well, because you kinda get this first sense choice. of like yeah. so through the, as the movie goes along, Nick ends up like he ends up um, in debt to his bookie Brad Dourif. He ends up pissing off uh, a client of Eva Mendez and owing her money. He ends up pissing off another client of Eva Mendez and owing and getting that like like a political person angry with him. So his his cop higher ups are angry with him. He ends up like stealing money for like stealing drugs from work and people are getting suspicious and and all of these choices he's making to cover up like he's literally robbing from one person to pay off another person and making all these choices and it's all piling 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 up until the end of the movie and all of a sudden there's this amazing scene where <laughs> one by one everybody walks into the police station and like they're super excited and like everything is solved through exposition like oh it's great yeah it's just like one, like a rotating like carousel of characters just coming through and be like, "Hey, you remember that thing? That thing that was going crazy? It's fine. Don't worry about it." Like <laughs> yeah. Shay Wiggum's there, and he's just like, "Hey, I don't oh, want I'm any so problem. I'm okay. It's all, I'm, ooh, I'm, I'm, ooh. We're good." And then yeah. like, and then Brad comes in. Hey, man, that like one thing that you oh you didn't on? see the end of the football game, huh? Yeah. Like th- they lost by three. Perfect. You covered the spread. Here's ten grand. Yeah. And, so and you're like, just like, "Oh man, okay." And so you think like then as the audience member, you think <laughs> oh, that oh he's his finally boss is just like, "Hey, great investigation. That's amazing. You yeah. solved that murder and everything." Here's your gun back. Yeah. Here's you're back on the full the full duty. And then you're up for a promotion. Yeah. yeah. And then so he. You would think, yeah, then he gets promoted to sergeant. And so you think like, oh, okay, cool. Like everything worked out. But then you're like forgetting nothing worked out in the right way. Like his dad's whole story through this thing is like he's going to AA to get over his addictions. Eva Mendez, yeah. his uh, his girlfriend decides like she's going to go with him to get over her addictions because like, she's also addicted to coke and other things. Yeah. But Nick doesn't make any of those choices. He's still addicted to all these things. He still does all this stuff. He still gets into precarious situations and finds his way out. So at the end of the movie, even after he gets promoted and everything works out, he's back to where he started from. He's paroling the streets again and all these things until that kid at the beginning of the movie in the jail cell knocks on his door accidentally at a hotel, comes in, and Nick is like high and like really messed up. And he's just like, I'm going to hang out with you until you're better. And then they go to an aquarium together. And you kind of get that yeah. first sense at the end of the movie. But, like, here's the thing. Like, I was saying, like, this script, I don't know how much of this is script versus Werner because this script does not seem like a movie smart enough to write that, like, that nice of an arc stuff. I don't know. Like, it's it's a TV writer named William M. Finkelstein who did a lot of L.A. law back in the 80s. Uh I give him kind of credit here because, like, just today I found out he actually plays the gangster Dave 
like that comes after him with those two guys at, oh, okay. at Frankie's apartment. Yeah, yeah. And I was like kind of impressed with him doing double duty. Like he's clearly around. But this script shoot. was written a long time ago too. Sure, sure. But I, I mean, like I, I implicitly, I take it that the movie makers have his blessing on changing all this Sorry, stuff. He's, he's the there. red jacket dude. Yeah. He's, his soul was still dancing at the yeah, end of the movie. His soul was still dancing. Also, that's another – just another thing where it's like amazing moment where like Werner's like they added that and it comes out of nowhere. It's the soul's dancing scene. Shoot him again. Yeah. The soul's still dancing. And then you have this hilarious scene of this kid breakdancing in that guy's clothes but like with a mohawk. Yeah. And and this this song from one of his earlier movies, Strotzik, is playing. It's an insane song. Like the end of that movie I've seen – and like just on its own, I I looked it up on YouTube because it's like this chicken dancing and pulling a cable to dance. It's insane. It's it's vint- it's total Werner Werner. Like he just saw this roadside like attraction place and was like, "There you go, it's the end of the movie." Yeah. And like, went no, no, and this has been like this, this is what stuff. I genuinely love about Werner. But I kind of why yeah. I think I don't love his his theatrical films like his narrative films it's because like he kind of just like makes it up as he goes along and i genuinely think this works really well in the documentary field that he works in like i don't know we, sure we saw a cave of forgotten dreams right together yeah yeah the, and so this movie, I, i'm thinking of the guy that's like sniffing in the forest that's what i'm saying like mushrooms. yeah all of a sudden like we were watching this movie all about like this amazing actual real life thing you find like ten thousand year old plus um, like cave draw, paintings. Crave drawings yeah. that he gets to go and videotape and nobody else gets to go in and do this. And we're having these conversations and he's making so many weird choices about like how we're introducing new experts. Like they're not just sitting there with a, a line with their name on a on a subtitle. It's like this dude sniffing things as he walks through the bushes and then he walks up to the camera and says, oh, hi, I'm blah, blah, blah. Or yeah. in the middle of a conversation, this Werner finds out this guy that one of his experts was used to be an old like circus folk and he was like he stopped the interview dead and was like wait what you need and to we, tell me about that and we talked about that for a while and you're like I I love the rabbit holes he jumps down yeah like he finds more humanity that way somehow or is that the movie that has the albino alligator that he's just kind of like dude this thing right here and like starts like speaking for it Oh, maybe. I haven't seen it in so long. That's not the thing that pops okay. up to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just th- since we saw a fun gator in this movie, like there's, you know, yeah. Oh, animal, yeah. He... animal cameos. Ugh. There's a prominent dog in this movie, too, that he's looking after for his dad. And it's just like there. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, he's so trying pumped. to. I, I was honestly really trying to follow the mystery of this movie this time because, like, I just forgot all about it. Like the actual case he's investigating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He solves it really quickly. I was quickly. like, what is the cop work in this movie? Like, what is happening? He, it's like, okay. The cop work is this... put on pause around the, like, when Exhibit shows like, up. There's like 70 minutes where that's the core of why anything is happening. It's like this this family from Senegal was murdered and he's trying to like figure out how this drug dealer played by Exhibit plays into it, Big Fate. Yeah. And so the people he's interviewing and like the characters he's talking to kind of correlate to that. But then there's a part where he, he loses this witness at the casino and then the movie just kind of like he just kind of doesn't c- seem to care about the mystery anymore for like half an hour. Yep. Like the case, he kind of just starts caring more about his money problems. And that becomes the center of like why he's doing anything, like why he's bullying this football player and trying to get him to throw a game or like why he's like doing jobs basically for exhibit to like get some quick money. 
Yeah, like I think he. Well, okay. There's a part of me that wonders, like, did he actually? Is he jumping on board with Exhibit in that sense of like, uh, in a genuine way, in a genuine way, or is he just like? Because I think at that point in the story too, he got kicked off the force. Like he got like he got demoted essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He got saddled, and so that's when he decides to jump in with Exhibit to make some quick money. But is in his mind like I don't know if if in his mind he's making these calculations like oh I'm gonna make a few bucks. But then at the end of it all, I'm going to end up screwing over Exhibit. But he didn't expect that gangster to show up at Exhibit's house. Yeah, that kind of just works out for that problem, too, because he owes 50K to them. And then he gets drugs worth that much, but they show up and there's just a shootout yeah. and he, he succeeds. Yes. Like he, he his the people antagonizing him get killed by these guys. And then he pins the crack pipe on them and uh-huh. charges them for those murders. And then all the the rotating. Well, then like, the police just show up out of nowhere. Yeah, and, and this is Val's other big scene where like he's sort of dirtier than Nick Cage, yes. and he's gonna kill this guy for no real good reason. Just and because then that's he can, another scene. Yes. Yeah, just like a but power again, trip like it's just one thing. of those things where Nick, where like Val's playing it very straight, even in that scene. Yeah, like it's hard to remember. Like okay. I didn't really want to get into it too much because we could just praise Nicolas Cage nonstop through this entire thing. Like his hair is amazing. Yeah. All the his physical acting choices he makes are amazing. Like how he carries himself, his anger. I just say as a shaver when he yeah. first appears to like terrorize those ladies. Yes, uh, but Madness. Val Kilmer yeah. used to be like a giant movie star. Yeah, in the eighties, I'm gonna say, and nineties, nineties, man, The Saint. And Ghost in, in Darkness the and Doctor Island Doctor Moreau, like these are all movies that he made a lot of money for. Batman okay. Forever. But I'm like, several of those are like, I don't think successes. But yeah, Batman Forever, dude. Batman I Forever. Know. Like I, mean, I was there in the theater. I know. Like out. he was that's he was an up and coming yeah. star in the 80s. But then he became like a marquee name. Like at first sight, he was in, which was a big movie that came out. These are all movies yeah. that mostly bombed. But my point is that he still made a giant paycheck because they they thought Val Kilmer was a marketable name. His name was like the marquee yeah. name for the saint. I mean, it's just kind of like the opposite trajectory of the two stars of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yes. Where like Robert Downey's like on the big hot come up and like Val is declining and they met for this Shane Black movie. <laughs> like yep. it's just this weird moment. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So anyways, it's just weird to see him in this movie, but he's like not even bringing any of the energy that any of the other members of the cast like uh that are bringing with it like brad durf is having a good time i like forgot michael shannon was in this movie like he just like shows up to talk to him about like the evidence locker and he can't steal drugs from him anymore and i was like is that is that michael shannon michael shannon was in this it was just okay and it was like peak michael shannon like wasn't take shelter like that year too oh it's it's like post his oscar nomination for revolutionary road and then, yeah, like he was definitely popping up in a lot of stuff. Maybe take shelter because my son. He already son, started working with that director anyway, Jeff Nichols. Yes. So my son, yeah. my son, what have you done? Was like after this movie. Yeah, I guess it was just like I I'd forgotten that that wasn't the first Herzog Shannon collaboration that he gotcha. was here. Yes. So it was fun to see. Uh, you and don't then, like my son, my son. What have you done? Right? You didn't I didn't it? really like it. No. No. I I it I, like again, this movie is much better. <laughs> like Oh it, yeah, it, for, for certain. Like, I would stuff. never I would never sit here and say it isn't much better, but I don't know. There's But some... like I went into that movie with a certain amount of enthusiasm because it's like Willem and Michael Shannon's like those are two actors that can really do some stuff. And I just didn't feel it it 
it was magic. Oh, so. okay. I was like, I didn't feel the magic of this movie, but I definitely had a great time with those two actors, and I thought they did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. I liked my son. My son, what have you done? So I think I still have it, but it was just kind of like it didn't meet my like hype is the worst thing for me. If I like anticipate anything, I, I'm in trouble. Oh, I know. Like I, <laughs> I need to like, I walked out of Sony expect very anything. good or just good movies that Nathan did not like because it's like, in his well, head. That wasn't a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the funniest okay. story. I think we might've talked about on the podcast. The funniest story is that, Nathan has a friend who talked about Drive and said Drive We've talked was, about the, yeah. Drive was the best movie of the year, but Nathan had already seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and that was his favorite movie of the year. And he walked easily. out hating because yeah, but, easily, again because I went in with like bad expectations. Yeah, because like, you I walked out being like, like you walked trailer. out of Drive hating it because somebody thought it was better than Rise of the Planet of the Apes. That and like the marketing for it was leaning into how awesome it was already. It oh, was like sure. just won prizes at Cannes Film Festival. I know, this but that's like every you've liked movies that have had those exact commercials. No country had those commercials. Yeah, I guess it did. And but it's just like, a perfect movie. So no, that's what. I, but that's what I'm saying. Like you can't just be like <laughs> you can't fault Drive for something that every movie that you've also liked had done. It's just because you the, don't like the Drive. awards trailer yeah. kind of thing. Everyone like, all has that trailer where it's like. All it is is like four star, five star, four star, five star, four star, five star, <laughs> right? Like, oh my gosh, movies do that yeah. because they want to get people into to the seats. So, anyways, I'm, I'm making it sounds like I'm making an argument for Drive being a great movie, and I don't think it is. I think it's a good movie, but I just think yeah. it's, it's that Kaminsky song is great. But yeah, yeah. Uh, <sighs> did the score stand out to you in this movie? Because oh, no. it kind of partway through, I was like, I kind of like what's going on here. Like, just with, like, the the cop, it was, like, sort of light, but still, mis- like, procedural cop music. Like, I kind of was digging it at some point, J- to the point where I at least wanted to see who did it. Mm-hmm. It's this guy, Mark Isham, who has just tons of stuff on his credits. He's, you know, What's his, like, composer. with some highlights that he's done aside from this? Uh, oh, man. I totally remember, <laughs> uh, actually, so many stand out, it's hard to narrow it down you just... right now. You just said you made it seem like there were things. Okay, let's just see what all those. Anyways, uh, no, sorry, the music did not. Reversal of Fortune. No, there was like (laughs) there was certain directors that I was like, oh, weird. He kind of collaborated with them. Uh, Reversal of Fortune. uh, That's your one. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I just that's the thing. Like, yeah, Reversal of Fortune. That classic that we all still talk about to this day. Oh right. Okay. No, the big one was the the guy who directed Warrior and like Miracle, like Gavin O'Connor. Yeah. It's like he's his guy that he goes to, like the accountant and all that stuff. Gotcha. Like you several of his films. Warrior is yeah, the yeah, good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, okay, sorry. You threw me off. I thought you said something Miracle. I thought you said Miracle, and I was like, that's not Miracle, the, same the a hockey movie. Yeah. It's also no. Gavin O'Connor. But yes, Warrior Warrior is a great movie. Accountant's fun. Okay, yeah, it's it's Gavin O'Connor's go-to music guy. Okay. Just, yeah, he also did this. And at some point, I just was digging, like, just looking at New Orleans, like, skylines and stuff, and hearing his songs under it kind of helped that, so I just wanted to call it out. Gotcha. I thought it was pretty solid. But, uh... Oh, he's still doing lots of stuff to this day, huh? He did Bill and Ted this last year. Yeah, Bill and Ted face uh, the music. He did Togo, which is that Disney Plus movie with uh, Willem that I've never seen that I want to see. That's like the dog sled movie. 
Okay. Yeah, I see that here. But I don't know. Just wanted to acknowledge it because there are a lot of like little players in this. Like Nick is obviously the center holding the whole wheel together. Like it's the thing. Yes. But there's just little bit players throughout that I was kind of enjoying. Like his stepmom, Jennifer Coolidge, actually had a couple good scenes. Uh, The guy who plays his dad. Like there's just little things that are kind of fun interactions throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that in the sports bar that him and Brad Dourif like hang out in. Yep. There's just a sign in the background, neon, that just says red beans, big capital letters. Yeah. And I just, I don't know why that's such a funny thing to me, but it was just like, yeah, great. Advertise it. Red beans. We got them. So I don't know. I, I really like that this movie isn't in New York because somehow I have like secondhand fatigue of that city because it's in every piece of media. Like, I don't feel that's true of New Orleans. So... I'm really happy they made that call. Oh, sure. And, and elsewhere. Nick, Nick wanted in New York because uh, he wanted to bring like him and Werner wanted to bring some industry back to the city after they. Oh, they wanted it in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then sorry, that's what they that's what I meant. into the story. Yeah. 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 They wanted it to, like to bring a spotlight to it, but they also wanted to bring a, like some business to it. And to be fair, like Nick has gone on to like champion. Like he's been in, I think since uh protocol, he's been in a whole bunch of movies set intentionally set in new orleans where he changed it like they did, it was, did a movie called stolen uh he did a movie called um oh, I, oh yeah there's that like flooded mall or whatever yeah. was that yeah yeah oh my goodness anyways my brain's not working right now but yes he he's done a few movies he's been intentionally bringing business to well the he's city, just been a big cool. fan of new orleans forever like his tomb <laughs> he already has his tomb in new orleans yeah I, like honestly, as like a New Orleans Pelicans fan, I was looking for any sort of like NBA or like Saints stuff or anything, and it's like no, it's college football is like the one part of it that they bring into the story. Yeah. And then when they're in the sports bar, there's like hockey being played on the big screen. I was just like, oh, I don't even get like a Chris Paul cameo or something. No, it's just weird. Yeah. Uh, I guess they were they were the Hornets then, the New Orleans Hornets. Yes. In two thousand nine, and Chris so, Paul was playing yeah. for them at that time. Yeah, it was before the Clippers trade. Okay. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, most of my notes here. <laughs> I see that. Like, here's the <laughs> thing. Oh, man. Here's the thing. Okay. We, we, we talk about these movies. I think there's almost like, like, I came into this conversation and be like, I love this movie. I know Nathan loves this movie, too. Yeah. But I'm like, man, we, it's almost like we have more contention. We, we talk longer when we have a movie that we both kind of we disagree with on something. Right. I, I It's like a negative slant that I, I wrote down, but I don't want to like stir up too much shade or whatever. I just like genuinely felt this while watching it and you talking about it being this thing of like, oh man, this guy just keeps getting all these money problems and all this stuff's going to topple over on him. It was just like, oh, it's like uncut gems, but good. Oh, okay. Savage. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what? Did we watch? Did we watch oh, uncut calling gems out together? Uncut gems. Yeah, we did. And that movie was just, like, unrelenting in, like, a movie. Okay, you and I both walked out of it. I think I liked it a little bit more than you, but, like, I'm saying, like, a 5 or 6 out of 10. And I think you yeah. came out of it, like, lower than that. It's, like, a 4 or 5. Yeah. Like, it's not So I think I just came out with, like, a movie. little bit more enjoyment than you did. But it, I still felt, like, yelled at for two hours by that movie. Oh, for, yeah. That movie, I mean, I know it's, like, being manic and, like, oh, it's so stressed out or whatever, but... I felt after I saw that movie, that movie had like a drive type thing where it was just like, oh my God, Adam Sandler in that movie, right? How many trophies should that guy win for that performance? And it's just like, 
zero like whatever but here's the thing what are you i'm talking like about? i'm not a, i wasn't an opposed to the conversation because i know adam sandler actually does have some acting chops because he's made yeah. movies in the past that have gotten criminally underrated being one of my favorites of all times and one of my favorite paul thomas anderson films is punch drunk love and right. nobody talks about that movie and his performance in it. i know like nobody talks about that movie to the point where it was like wow adam sandler's first drama ever isn't this amazing Look at this movie right here, Uncut Gems. And it's like, what? I know, but Nathan, like, I feel like you don't know what you're saying. No, and like, they don't. That's the thing. But but it's still frustrating. It still made me happy that at least Adam Sandler was getting some sort of like recognition that he's mm-hmm. not just this like goofball who makes Waterboy or Billy like Madison phones films. in these like strange wilderness. Like happy he does Madison. He, why do you keep going back to Strange Wilderness? He didn't make Strange Wilderness. Happy Madison might have, but he had nothing to production? do with it. It is, but he's not in it. Maybe I it's think a he cameo. brought weed to the set or something. I, I don't know. But, <laughs> but anyways, uh, like, yeah, like, he, he's more than just the type of uh, comedy grown-ups he makes. too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. But here's the thing. this All the stuff that you just said, like, he just signed a $276 million contract with Netflix to make four films. He personally yeah. made almost $300 million. To make four films for them. Four of his films. Well, isn't Uncut one of like No, Uncut it was an, it's an A24 film. Oh, okay. Fair and enough. A24 sold it to Netflix for streaming on some in some countries. I don't know what it It's just like, I love basketball. I like movies. This just didn't really co- like connect at no, all. No, it's... And it, it might was, be the hype factor. It might be... But I don't think you like this stress how either. How aggro it was. Yeah. I don't think you like the stress of the movie because it wasn't enjoyable at the end of it all, too. Yeah, something about it, like, this movie has, like, a bad decisions central character who's, like, setting up all these bad scenarios, but for some reason I'm just, like, never in that same anxiety, panic, because it's just too crazy. Bad Lieutenant? Bad Lieutenant. For Bad Lieutenant, Because when you're watching Bad Lieutenant, like, Nick Cage is, like, being Nick Cage, so you're always, like, also just enjoying his performance, so you never have that manicness. You never have that real sense of worry because the movie does itself isn't really worried about what's happening to Nick Cage. Right. Like he's angry and yelling in a pharmacy, but you're just having fun. Yes. Like you're like, just like marveling uncut, at You're it. just like you're on in you're like a movie is well made in the sense of like it wants you to feel stressed. So it does make you feel stressed. So even if you don't like it, you still have to say, oh, man, they sure. did that well. Mission accomplished. Yes. Yeah. But Bad Lieutenant, it wasn't trying to do that. Like it's just trying to like tell this story where yeah all these things are building up around him but like you never and then really they have just like have their pressure relief valve scene with like the the turnstile of people just being like it's fine yeah. it's awesome you did it and it's like, like instead of him getting killed but, or but something. nathan it's like you say pressure relief and i'm ser- like, literally saying they just lift the pot off like there was the, 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 the valve was just open the yeah, whole movie exactly. yeah. they <laughs> sure. lift the lid off and a little bit of steam came out like that's all it was like yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, enough. I agree with you. I get the. I see the connection that you have there between. It's the just two. in content yes. and like sports gambling and all this. Is oh kind no, of no, factoring they're, into they're it. definitely. It's definitely there. I would just make the argument that like Bad Lieutenant is not trying to be what Uncuts is being. Right. Type of thing. And Even though I, they're telling similar stories. I mean, honestly, now you're making me think like how great Uncut Gems would have been if it was Nick Cage. Or Werner made it. <laughs> You just I would still be, be like, no, give me Nicolas Cage. Because, like, I don't know about you, like, watching Mom and Dad, like, when you have that, like, unrelenting, super fast edits, like, Brian Taylor from Neville Dean and Taylor, like, made yeah. that movie. Like, Nick Cage really can, like, he can do some fun stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's weird. I felt that 
like it's it's just this weird thing where it's like oh uncut is like this little movie so it's me- weird to like be mad at it but i i feel it like reversed around where it became like no this is now over talked about and over celebrated and overrated so, like it was underrated and then the oscar situation happened and then it tilted over where people are like oh hashtag snubbed and it's like okay you flipped it and now everyone can just walk away. You don't need to watch it. So are you <laughs> uh, are you aware of A24 pictures? Vaguely. Like they've made some like, really great features. They're the ones that like they made The Witch and The Lighthouse. They've done uh-huh. like they did Hereditary and Midsummer and Uncut Gems. They kind of have like this amazing track record where they don't make bad movies. But Whoa. but but subjectivity but, but okay. Yes, you're correct. Well, they make yeah. movies that critics love and audience art house audiences love too. Okay. You and I both liked Lighthouse. So let's like let's be honest. I did that. like the Lighthouse, yes. and but I like, love. I the had witch. no interest whatsoever in Midsummer, and felt like I I don't want this to exist. I'm fine. Yeah, don't want it. I liked The Witch quite a bit. Like I think The Witch is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. But like I think A24 is a little overhyped, specifically because they lean into uh, Arya Aster. And his entire career, because I think, like I've, you not you and I have talked about this personally. Hereditary is a greatest hits of act of better horror films. That that trailer too of just like this already is so celebrated, like yes. critically adored, and it's like okay, are you like shaming me into liking it? Like I don't <laughs> like what the I didn't like how this conversation started. Tony Collette does a great job, <laughs> but you kind of like negged me at in this trailer and i don't i don't appreciate see, that it that so. doesn't bug me i, I just because i just ignore trailers but like because it's even yeah. not even made by the filmmaker but like my biggest beef with with hereditary is like oh man what if you took the aesthetic of the shining the music of the shining and the story of uh rosemary's baby and you slammed it all together and you're like oh you'd make hereditary like it's the greatest hits like he's just doing more of the same and so when yeah. when you got to midsummer which i actually liked but okay. because i don't care about nordic horror films but i have heard from everybody who does care about nordic horror films that it is just a rip on nordic horror films that they have all like wicker man like or... that's the wicker man's like an english film but yeah it's like um but like that type of like folklore type horror films like sure sure but anyways okay. it's fine like it's even fine I'm intrigued to watch this three-hour cut. I don't know why. But, like, <laughs> I liked it more than a Hereditary. I thought Hereditary had okay. better scenes in it, but I didn't enjoy the movie at the whole Yeah, point. it was just, like, a marketing thing again. I was just like, I'm not buying what you're selling, and I don't I don't want to hang out on this island at, with this cult. Like, I'm just not... I don't want to go there. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we, saw, we saw Hereditary together, right? Yeah, with Matthew. I think I think I actually liked it the most out of our little group that yes. went and saw it. Matthew hated I was just it like, the most. Oh, what's that actress's name? She's in a. She she plays a witch in that movie, but like she's just a friendly neighbor at the Walmart kind of thing. Is the vibe? Like she was in that yeah. uh, Justin Thoreau show that everybody loves. Anne Dowd. Yeah, wow, Anne Dowd. she was so great in that movie. She was great in that movie. <laughs> Anne Dowd is, yeah. but Anne Dowd's pretty great. Period, though. Yeah, and out our favorite. No, but she was good. She genuinely was. No, no, but she is and like. Look at her career. She actually is like pretty great. I don't know. Um. Anyways, 
I just A twenty four is one of those things where it's just it's, I think it's a little too overblown. People get too excited for their films, and I think I mean it's great for them making taking chances on films and like really giving um, uh, some like really strong visionary filmmakers the the budget they want. Like what other film studio makes allow somebody to make a uh, four by three black and white film with only two men on uh like lighthouse ta- like island like. I know, I know, yeah. Like, I I did appreciate that movie. I did enjoy it. Like, it's not a, yeah, me condemning the whole studio. It's just kind of this, like, weird, like, uh, pressure system I've, like, felt from critical circles around their their stuff. And it's just like, can I not like this? Like, I, I don't know. I feel, like, indebted somehow. Yeah. So, So I yeah. want to get into it, because my question, I have one question for you before we go into MVPs. And it's, okay. it's separate from it's separate but related to the question I have at the end. Like I have our question for today if we don't have one. Okay, uh, sure. Yeah. You and I saw this together in theaters. We did. Yeah. Yeah. We showed up late, which I was bummed about. So we missed a few <laughs> minutes of the It's just parking downtown. It was like a really yeah, it's it's not a great street for parking. So Calgary so... Calgary here had at that point had three like primary independent theaters. Mm-hmm. Had the plaza globe and the uptown uh we went to the uptown which is like a gorgeous space like absolutely gorgeous Mm -hmm. we literally we got in there late but we also stood at the ticket kiosk for quite some time just waiting to be served that's right i forgot about this yeah it was just like our the guy was just talking with no no no. like no joke like we were standing at the ticket kiosk ready to go see a movie and we were looking around trying to find an employee wearing like some sort of like identifier that they're an employee. And there are these two people hanging out on the outside of the concession stand. So we thought – I thought that they were just customers. Oh, there's just some dudes at the theater. So we're just like yeah. standing there waiting. Like I'm thinking like, OK, well, somebody will show up eventually. I, I have no one I can go talk to right now. No manager to be like, hey, can I get help or something like that? And then this guy finally like just walks over and is like, yeah, what can I do for you? And we're like – Oh, like can... two tickets to the movie that started eight minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, and yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he gives it to, and I was just like, what? He was just standing right over there while we were, oh man, it didn't, it set me off. Like I love, yeah, it's okay. My question relates to th- things like this, but this was a yeah. shared experience. I loved going to see this movie with you. Like it was a, it was a fun, it was my first, my first experience with Werner. Mm-hmm. I had never seen a Werner film before Bad Lieutenant. And then you immediately like started showing me like Grizzly Man and Encounters at the End of the World and a bunch of his documentaries. And then I picked yeah. up uh, – I haven't, I haven't never actually seen <laughs> – I've never seen Fitzcarraldo, but I've seen Burden of uh, Burden of Truth. Burden of Dreams. Burden of Dreams. Yeah, the documentary about the making of it, which is honestly maybe better. Yes. I, don't <laughs> like, know, I, would, I, I would suspect it is. I hear from people it is very common. Well, it, it really captures the insanity of their mission to move the ship over the mountain. Like, you get better sense of scale and, like, chaos in that document. documentary. Well, especially because the whole movie, like, you think about, like... The movie's really good, and it points out like Werner's whole career. It's about like how much he loves the little things, the little details, and like the mm-hmm. like. And we see this in Bad Lieutenant. He stops and he pays attention to these little details. But he got lost on Fitzcarraldo because the the director of Burden of Dreams is like, "Hey, look at all these little ants and like all this infrastructure." And then he steps back, and you like Werner is destroying this entire forest 
to get this real <laughs> yeah. boat over this hill. And you're like, and then Werner walked away being like, Werner said, Werner said, Burden of Dreams is the masterpiece that came out of Fitzcarraldo. Yeah. So. No, it's super weird that story too, because like the real guy that he's ostensibly making a biopic about didn't even do that. Like he, his ship was like disassembled and hiked over a mountain, but that's boring. (laughs) So let's just haul an intact steamship over a mountain. That's the movie. It's like that never happened. Uh, Whatever. Sure. Okay. Let's, let's go to this like war torn jungle and figure it out. So anyways, Werner, Uh, you got me onto Werner. Grizzly Man still haunts me to this day. I think Grizzly Man was the like, dude, you got to check this out kind of thing in like my first year of college or something. So I rented that. And then that sent me down the, oh, sorry, my cat attacked Godzilla and won, so <laughs> there you go. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that kind of sent me down the path of his stuff. And then we fortunately correlated with this, like, some of his documentaries come to theaters around here. And oh, yeah, like that, that, we we actually kind of like, and stuff. Yeah. we kind of at this point moved into a golden era of Werner because that's when we got Cave of Forgotten Dreams and uh, that Into the Abyss, like that... Um, documentary about people on death row and oh, stuff like that death row and yeah. stuff yeah so we had to see a few yeah. of his stuff in theaters which we typically want to miss because we didn't see it um, oh man i bought a ticket for rescue dawn but my friend cody was late so we just went and saw sunshine like i have a ticket for that movie but i never actually saw that movie in theaters i rented it like years later interesting okay. <laughs> so, that's the thing is like yeah. i even i haven't like in rescue dawn is his remake of that documentary little Dieter wants to fly which is a documentary he made about the real story type of thing um yeah Yeah. anyways okay so uh every episode we like to do we like to focus on the positive which i mean in all fairness this episode is pretty positive pretty positive except for the uncut gems thing so we weren't talking about that kevin garnett you know just he's he's so we're we're just we're not which which has nothing to do with bad lieutenant protocol new orleans sure yeah fair enough uh but in this specific batch, so it's typically a time where we we sit down and we we highlight who we thought was the true gem, the shining light, and all these things. But in this batch, about Nicolas Cage, filled with films starring Nicolas Cage, he is a, the presumptive. He's like the implied MVP of every yeah. episode. So yeah. we, we have to go with our number two MVP. So Nathan, uh, what is your number two MVP this one? It, I mean, it's so hard not to just, well, it has to be Werner Herzog, you know, like I was trying to, I was trying to shine a light on like, you know, shade does a great job yeah. in his scene and the music was okay and all, all this stuff. But it's like, well, the other master at work here is, is Werner Herzog. So I have to give it to him for filming those iguanas and all of that. Like so, he really, no joke, yeah. no joke. I completely echo what you just said. Okay. Like Werner is like is my MVP because he's so amazing and this is like he perfectly captures Nicolas Cage's energies in scenes and at the same time Nicolas Cage is almost allowed to be set free because Werner is so experimental and wanting to to be free flowing. So he mm-hmm. like he allows Nicolas Cage to be Nicolas Cage. So it's such a perfect partnership that yeah, like you said at the beginning of the episode that you'd love for them to work together 100%. I want yeah, them to work I'm with so glad again. this collaboration happened at all. But like, I really wish they they partnered up a couple more times. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Nick just like, like it didn't do well. It was a box office flop, really. So I get maybe why some financier wouldn't greenlight. But Nick, more Nick of financed it, but... this one. Like this is Saturn Pictures, which is his. Yeah, yeah, that's Saturn true. Films. Um, but here's the thing. Like Nick, I don't know like what it is, but 
the only collaborator, like the big collaborator that Nicolas Cage has done multiple movies with are two. Mm-hmm. It's John Turtletob. <laughs> yeah. Because he's done three movies with John Turtletob and he did two movies with Dominic Cena. And both of them are okay. Like he did Gone with 60 Seconds and Season of the Witch. Nick, I don't know what... Like he only worked with the Coen Brothers once. He only worked with Mike Figgis once. He only worked with... Uh, oh. Uh, Martin Scorsese once. He only worked with uh, um, Madden. Who's the Madden guy? John Madden? John Madden once. Uh, okay. Captain Crelly's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he worked with John Woo twice, I guess. There you go. Face off. And, <laughs> um, yeah. But, like, he only works with these great directors once. David Lynch once, like... And then he moves on, and you're like, oh, man, like, is he just trying to, like, check off his bucket list? Mm-hmm. And like I wish that he would just like when you find that partnership, when you find that the the Leo to Marty, the Robert to Marty, the Klaus to Werner, you just kind of like move on, like team up for a while and harvest more of that rich energy. Yeah, it's unfortunate because like we watched that, that documentary happened. My best fiend, right? Like we watched that yeah. together, where it's like about Werner doing a documentary, made a documentary about his his uh, friend slash enemy. Uh, yeah. Klaus Kinski, who, the genuinely crazy Klaus Kinski, yeah. yeah, and how like they had such a, uh, like tenacious, uh, working ex- like a uh, working partnership, but also like a deep amount of love and respect for each other as artists, that they mm-hmm. worked so many like so many films together, so many films together, and Werner yeah. was able to put up with it, and Nick just it's from all accounts, it sounds like Nick was like a great person to work with, and here they are not working with each other again. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's a bit tragic, but it's a bit tragic. It, hey, at least this movie exists. Yes, like, that's true. You can, you can see the majesty. Um, but I will say, like, I wanted yeah. to say, I'll completely echo echo you because Shea was like my maybe, like my my like. Well, if Nathan says Werner, maybe I say Shea. But like, he's in the movie so little that you can't really make. Him I know it's like one really fun scene, and then like a follow up, like a little coda yeah. on that, and like, but yeah. There's like he gets to do what he wants because Werner said, "Hey, do what you want in the scene." Mm-hmm. He gets to do so many woes, and it's great. Yeah, no, Werner definitely <laughs> takes the cake this this episode. Yeah, uh, so making more Werner. Yeah, I assume we don't have any audience questions. I should probably stop assuming. This. I didn't check the Twitter, but no, I I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, okay, so talked a bit about it. What? Do you have like a positive experience or like a, a fondness towards the independent film theaters of our city? And and uh, how I'm just reflecting upon things now that we're kind of like in the middle of COVID. The plaza completely has gone under. Globe is starting. Oh, has it? Oh, yeah. Uptown okay. went under years ago. Plaza is now like only for leasing type of thing. You can go and lease it, but it's not open to anything. Even when it was open last like the last time mm-hmm. theaters were open, it wasn't open. And Globe kind of always seems teetering. But like, so like, what are, like? I've probably had the most like positive experiences at the Globe. Also, I have like my friend's brother works there or did yep. prior to all of this. Uh, so they would at least like keep me keyed in to like, hey, they're playing some like uh, Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies tonight. You should come check it out. It's like, oh, OK, cool. I'll, I'll go take a look at that or when the host came out, that's where I saw it, and mm-hmm. I love that movie. So that that mo- that theater steadily built up. 
like several things that kept me at least checking in on it. Um, the Uptown, honestly, like I never had an amazing experience there other than I was happy they hosted Crispin Glover's like weird poetry night that he did when he came to the city one time. It was just like it was ostensibly a film screening of this movie he made, but it was also just like Crispin's just going to be Crispin for a while and you can see see him up there. Was it a will? That that was. hmm? What was the movie again? Oh, he's directed two films. Let me see here. Let me see if he's got. Okay, there's three films. What is it? It is fine. Everything is fine. An untitled Crispin Hellion Glover project, which doesn't exist yet. So what is it is the film I saw with an audience of of people. I just remember snails were getting smashed in it. And it was like, what? Yeah. Why is this happening? Yeah. Um, but he did an extensive QA after and it, it was a fun, weird night with that dude. So I still appreciated the Uptown being there, but it was like they were always super leaning into like, hey, we got this like, uh, f- you know, we got the lives of others. We're, we're, we're playing it. We're the first in town to have it. And it's like, OK, well, first in town, but also European only stuff. only in town for some of these movies. Yeah, for some of them, even though that was like the best foreign like Oscar winner that year. It was just kind of like. Yeah, but that was before the market of foreign Oscar winners. Like Parasite was actually kind of a genuinely like shock for a lot of people. Like did well. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Um, Yes. No, I'm totally on the same page. I never really loved all my experiences at at the Uptown, and I do genuinely love the Globe building. Um, Yeah, the the building, yeah, for sure. But I've had more positive experiences at the Globe. I just never liked the building of the Globe. Um, but at the end of the day, I it's think... pretty standard. Yeah, it's like two two decent little theaters, but it's it's maybe not like uh, it's a little too shallow. Well, and it's too like shallow, but it feels like just a big room, and it doesn't actually feel like a movie theater, like a big room where they mm-hmm. stapled down like permanent chairs. But like you have this <laughs> yeah. sense of like majesty and bigness at the plaza. Like yeah. I really like the plaza for that like bigness. That's where I saw Trick or Treat when it came here before anybody, like many other people, had seen it. Um, right like and and even like no i had positive experiences at the plaza also it's just i don't know what it was it was like at some point they started kind of like waffling with their catalog it's like i i guess i could also see this like paul rudd comedy here but why like yeah. it would just be kind of the same movie but it's at the plaza yeah it's like no i know what you're saying really... like they would play the big movies as well but like it's also the place like even last year two years ago I got to see Irishman on the big screen. Was that it was only playing at the Plaza? Like that's where I had oh, to go okay. to watch the Irishman type of thing in theaters. So like yeah. they were getting stuff still. Like even they were doing the Two Popes. Like they they were getting those Netflix movies, uh, Marriage Story and stuff like that. They were getting to play on the big screen before they showed up on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. So the the one weird one in the city that is one hundred percent not an independent theater, but always kind of like treated itself it's that way, and. Like we got to see a lot of like pretty rare films in it was yeah. uh, is Eau Claire. Oh yeah, because like that's like, where Eau we Claire shot... is a Cineplex yes. owned theater, but, but they, they kind of like get leaned, kinda... yeah, like they would lean into like the fact that they're downtown. They're kind of in a, a quirky part of the downtown area. Um, like that's where we saw like that's where I saw Parasite. That's where we saw Shin Godzilla. Uh, uh, one of the big ones that's standing up to me is Synecdoche, New York. Was there? Yeah, that's where we saw, Shin which is just like. Yeah. 
in this like former IMAX theater, so like yeah. the seating is really strange oh, for this so like like that's Charlie where we, we actually movie. saw yeah. Dune in that same theater, and that was kind of like a fun experience, and that really helped that movie too. Yeah, like having watched that movie like alone at your house on like a twenty-seven inch like monitor, yeah. that's not the same experience. No, not at all. So, uh, especially because yeah. you can't like I needed to watch that movie in a place where you can pause it or stop it. Like I was just no, like, it just right. has to wash yeah. in over you. Like I had you to like look get at this, this done art in, direction. In one one take because like I would have probably stopped it and come back to it another time. Like because but I had to just all right, I'm gonna watch this movie. Let's get it done. But yeah, like the Eau Claire was kind of like that one. But I've had I personally have had some really negative experiences at Eau Claire. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. Just like weird staff experiences, manager yeah. experiences. Just like anyways, which is fine. But it's just made me like it's always put a sour taste in my mouth now. Like we're like I'm okay avoiding eau claire when i go oh, it wasn't a weird thing about the plaza too it was like oh crap right it's cash only like i'd walk up and be like oh no i don't have money <laughs> like i'm just used to yes. buying from a if robot you, debit card and here here in canada tap and 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 uh chip have been around for a very long time so the fact that none of us walk around with cash is pretty common but they do have a yeah. convenient atm on site that they charge you like sure a- yeah just pay like the three dollar fee or whatever yeah. yeah i'd always feel slightly burned like it would just like it would just set your night off on like a little bit of a eh. to be <laughs> like, fair uptown was also really cash good. only i and that was my second worst experience <laughs> so whatever yeah but you're right like, you know you're right globe was definitely globe is where i got to see i got to see color to space and fox catcher at the globe and napoleon dynamite before it became like a giant hit. Oh yeah, my cousin was on that Napoleon Dynamite stuff before it got a meme yeah. out or whatever. Before I saw it because I saw it. I saw it that night. I also got to see. Okay, this is a fascinating bit of history. Have you heard of the yeah. recent Nexium, um, like cult thing that like the sex cult, the branding sex cult with the Supergirl, Super Smallville actress. Oh, no, I've heard this as a cult name. Yeah, is there a movie about it coming out? No, 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 no. It's well, there's documentaries that have come on HBO and one that came on Stars. Anyways, okay. One of the biggest members in that group uh, is called Mark, and he's a filmmaker, and he made okay. films before he joined Nexium and started making films for Nexium. He made the yeah. movies. What the bleep do I know? Do you remember that movie? Oh, oh, dude! The at at my Rogers Video Store six one three that was like a weirdly sought after title. Yeah. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like people would just be like, "Oh, I I thought you had this. Like, where is it? It's like, I, what? Why, why? I don't know. I saw what, what the that? bleep do I know in theaters at the Globe and like before it was like a thing. My college okay. professor, my one of my philosophy professors, like invited everybody to go see it, in which we all scoured. Like, it's not very good. It's not good. It's bad philosophy. Mark. Yeah. Like, I feel bad because Mark eventually goes on to follow this, like, this, like, Nexium Keith Rainier cult leader. And you're like, okay, cool. This makes sense now because he mm-hmm. didn't have this good grasp. But anyways, so I got to see this guy's movie before he went on to be part of this giant sex cult nonsense of recent years. Amazing. Okay. So. There you go. Anyways, Lo- local flavor. Yeah. I, you wouldn't get any of that at Cineplex or, or Landmark Empire yeah. at that time. It's one of those things where I feel like we're heading into this weird era where there's probably not going to be theaters. <laughs> like I'm I'm kind of like getting used to this notion. And I know like it's like I see like Scorsese or somebody being really upset about that. And I get it, but I don't know if there's a future for it. Like other than nostalgia, 
I don't know if the theater. Well, but has okay, so like, be, I, I actually do want to have this conversation on a financial basis. How does okay. a movie make money if not in a theater? Clicks. I I don't know. Like, like subscriptions. that's false. Yeah, but subscriptions are only like they're already set. Like they don't make extra money from movies coming out. Netflix is like only losing money every year because they're like they're gambling against the future too that they're somehow unless it like drives subscribers or something yeah and like, raising yeah. prices every year every every couple of years type of thing so eventually Ad-based like based films <laughs> yeah like like what I'm, my point is like there is no medium to replace the billion dollars in a month that a movie theater can give a movie yeah but it, like disney will release like if they release a marvel film and a star wars film in one year mm-hmm. like they have to somehow make money off of that and they're gonna if so if they already got somebody from the first movie why are they all of a sudden gonna have more subscribers in the next movie or now i'm just thinking about like the the ongoing kind of beef about like what he said about marvel movies and it's like i think they're just keeping theaters alive dude yes like you should honestly kind of maybe tip your hat to kevin Feige and all those people for keeping it going Feige. for the uh, mm, it's spelled like beige so. i know but that doesn't mean it's still Feige though uh, okay, Kevin Feige is just kind of keeping that theater going for four years for The Irishman to finally come out, and then I can go see all four hours of it and eat some popcorn and have yeah, a donut. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like, I agree. Like, is, I one hundred percent. I think I think Marty's not. Or like Tarantino was so mad when Hateful Eight couldn't do like the seventy millimeter format because Star Wars was playing. And yeah. It's like, yeah, but I mean, dude, it's come on, it, it's Star Wars. I yeah. mean, it's bigger than your movie. Yes. I mean. 100%, what are you doing? Hundred percent of Star Wars. It's. Like I'm not saying it's better. Culturally like it's worse, more significant than your movie. Period. It's this cult- keeps it is- the money going. Like Alamo Drafthouse basically just filed for bankruptcy. Like yes. that's the tw- Quentin Tarantino ideal theater experience, and it's in jeopardy now. Like, um, yeah, no, yeah. it totally did, and it's. But here's. I'm the- in a tangent mood today. I don't no, no, know. it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with the tangent mood. The uh, yeah. the draft house thing is is really sad. I find this all really sad because I don't think it actually needs to be the end of anything. Because like here's I the value thing, like, those experiences and love those memories. I'm just like I'm trying to just like I don't know like to come to terms with that just not being a thing anymore. Yeah, but like I might but like there's to, that communal. You know? I don't know about you, but like like okay, so for for the last few years, like I still haven't watched a bunch of really well relate rated and loved and liked netflix films because they're just available to me but when a movie comes oh, out sure. i have a sense of like oh i want to go see that an urgency that i have to go see it that is mm-hmm. that is not going to be replicated by like streaming services yeah honestly recently i've been enjoying the real passive way of just like oh this is this is just on like uh there's this service called pluto tv yeah and it's it's like emulating bad cable. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, oh, hey, check out the Shout Factory channel and what movie's on. And it's just like, all right, just put this on. Yeah. And it's easier to like fall into a movie when you didn't intently but that's choose like, a movie off yourself. But that's a you totally know? different thing than like what we're talking about with like enjoying new Anticipating films. the new Fincher film or, yes. or something. Like we yeah. saw Mank in theaters in the middle of a pandemic because we were like, like oh, we, we need sought to it go. out because like, I don't want to miss the new Fincher. It's been seven years. Yeah. yeah, And we, yeah. we sought that out. And it's like, because I still think at the end of the day, like watching a movie with other people is still going to like a communal experience is something we still need to figure out how to do post pandemic. And I still mm-hmm. think that will be post pandemic because 
we've been post-pandemic many times in the history of mankind. It's just like what shakes out at the end of this type of thing. I guess so, yeah. Like SARS was something that we came out of. Like I'm, 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 I'm like, not saying like this isn't a real thing. I very much believe it's real. I believe that everyone should go and take a vaccine, a hundred percent. But like when we become, well, I'm just trying to think of like the theater industry existed after Spanish flu. Like you know, yes, but maybe it did take a dip to like going to see burlesque or something. Yes, but like I know <laughs> I for a I fact that like okay, so for example, just to kind of like throw it out there, Tom and Jerry yeah. over this weekend had the ba- the best box office all pandemic because people. Okay wanted to go see a movie in theaters the weekend before that the crudes went to number one again because people wanted to go see something in theaters Mm -hmm. like tom and jerry made 12.5 desire yeah tom and jerry was made like made 12.5 million dollars in a weekend which was more than tenant made in any of its weekends Mm -hmm. because people now are it's things are opening up a little bit quicker in the states right now because there's more uh vaccine inoculations happening down there than there is in canada and so like they just bumped back Fast 9 a month, but that's not a year. That's not six months. It's not three months. They think that they can release oh. this movie in June. It's like every James Bond delay was just like, oh, okay. But next, that, that was always like season, they picked huh? April, which was like a month too early. Yeah. It is like honestly yeah. by May, by June, I think we'll be able to like go see not necessarily theaters packed out completely. But here's the thing, like Landmark opens uh, at the beginning of May. What's playing? Black Widow on all eight, all eight, 16 theaters, because what else is there? All right. <laughs> okay. So, hey, that that's uh, that's how the question segment goes. That one went for a while. But if you want to ask us anything, you can email Ryan at OKVideo.ca or Nathan at OKVideo.ca. We're also on Twitter at OKVideoPodcast. Uh, so, Uncut Gems fans, like, you know, I'm sorry, but... No, no, come at it's us. It's not very good. Come at us. It's just, it's just not, it's just not very good. I mean, come at Nathan. Uh, I don't really go on the Twitter, so it works out. But come at Nathan. Yeah, but you know, Adam Sandler has hundreds of millions of dollars. So what do I know? Uh, next week we're looking at Vampire's Kiss, the most quintessential Nicolas Cage performance. Until then, I'm Nathan, and I'm Ryan. Bye bye for now.